you, brother. Thank you. Let's bow our heads now for a word of prayer. With our heads bowed, I wonder how many would like to be remembered in prayer. Just let it be known by you lifting your hand. Our Heavenly Father, we humbly come to thee, Lord, confessing that we are not worthy of coming, but because of Jesus has made the way for us and has paid the price. Therefore, we can come boldly to the throne of grace in a time of need. And now, Lord, as we are here to present the gospel, searchable riches of Christ, we need you, Lord. And there might be one setting here, Father, that you're trying to school in a great way that you might send them somewhere to a great mission that you have purposed. I pray, Father, that if that be so, that this night that your purpose will be fulfilled. And help us as we present ourselves to you for service. Now, thou did behold all the hands and looking yet at those that are up. Thou knowest what is in need. And I pray that you'll supply it, Father. I offer my prayer with their prayer and their desires, my desires upon the golden altar where our sacrifice lays tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray that you'll break the bread of life to us out of thy word. Amen. Be seated. I am sorry to be just a little late, only I understood that tonight it was just a, a little late. The service is running just a little late. We'll make up for it and get out just as quick as possible. Now, we want to approach the Word tonight, and with all that was in us, I know you're here, and you, uh, some of these fine singers, uh, Mel Johnson, for one that I know sitting here, I've asked him to sing for us that song that I just can't get off of my mind constantly. I'm humming it about the tears come running down. I, I like that. And I think he's going to sing the businessman's breakfast or somewhere for us. Jim, won't you be sure to get that for me? And if you have a little tape, put it on that for me special. So uh, my children want to hear it. When I kind of get down a little low, I, I hear that. It makes me feel good to hear good singing. And Billy, I go into the office down there, and he's constantly got them tapes of singing going all the time. And I think it kind of helps him. You know, there's something about song that's got power in it. We all know that. We're, we're aware of that. See, that's, look at the army when they sing the songs and play the music. Do you know the approach to war in the army of a god is first by music? The singers went before the ark rejoicing and singing. Then come the ark and then the battle. That's right. So that's the right approach. And that's the reason we come into service at night. What do we do? Sing the hymns of the Lord. Then the ark, the word, read the word, and then the battle. And we're, we're in. So the great banners are flying tonight. The name of the Jesus Christ, the Lord God, may be exalted. The enemy be put to flight. And the God win the victory tonight and save souls. Heal the sick and afflicted. Cause those that are weary and stoop low to raise up their heads and rejoice. 
get great glory into himself. Or we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want you to turn tonight with me if you have your Bible. And sometimes people just mark the little text that ministers speak on. It used to be that I could think of these right quick without even writing them down. But after uh, just past 25, why, a few months ago, I mean the second time, <laughs> and so it makes it a little harder for me to remember. I'm bearing a lot of scars from the battles. And as we get older, we just don't think like we used to. And I have, when I look at the scripture and see, then I remember what the text is. Let's turn to Joshua, the 10th chapter. Begin reading at the 12th verse. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand thou still over Gideon, and moon over the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jeshur? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hastened not to go down about the whole day. And there was no day like that before, it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The Lord had his blessings to the reading of his word. I want to take a text out of there for about 30 minutes, if I can hold it to that. A paradox. Just use that one word, a paradox. Now, according to Webster, a paradox is something that seems incredible, but it's true. Therefore, a paradox, then, would be the same as a miracle. A paradox is when something that seems like it just couldn't be, the, the knowledge of the human mind, it's altogether incredible, but yet it's proven true. Now, a miracle would be the same thing. For a miracle cannot be explained. A miracle is something that happens and you cannot explain it. That makes it a paradox. It's incredible, but yet it's the truth. Now, people today, a lot of modernists, believe that the days of miracles are past. They don't believe there is such a thing as a, a miracle. But yet, I believe that the world's full of miracles. Uh, I believe the paradox uh, is constantly. For instance, I believe that every born-again member of the body of Christ is a paradox in themselves. I believe each one of you Methodists and Presbyterian and Lutheran that never had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit was in some formal church that did not believe in the genuine new birth and has now received the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a perfect example of a paradox because something happened to you that changed your whole being. And anyone could look at that and know that what a paradox is, a miracle. 
Unless that happens, you cannot uh, be a Christian. There must be a paradox for you to become a Christian because no one can can change a spirit in a man and give him new birth outside of God. God alone is the only one can do it, and it's a miracle how that God can take a man's thinking and his ways and his life and everything and change it from what it was to what it can be, what he can make it. For instance, a few days ago I was called in on a, a scene or on a, a little something going on. There was a fine young man, very fine boy. He was going with a little girl, very fine little girl out of a fine family. And this boy all of a sudden came up with some kind of an idea and he just walked away. He did something wrong to the little girl and much as promised her to do a certain thing and then didn't do it. And uh, instead of coming to the girl and apologizing like a, a gentleman should do, he, it just wasn't in him to do it. And the father and mother called me uh, to the scene and said, we would desire to know what is wrong with our boy. Now, it's not easy to do sometimes, but you must be truthful and honest. Therefore, the boy was a Christian as far as a believer. He had repented and had been baptized and had his position among the believers, but yet had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And no matter how much he thought he had, you thinking you have and having it is two different things. You might be able to try to say you have. You might be able to show some evidence of some emotion. But unless your life is vindicating what you're professing to have, you still haven't got it. No matter how many emotions, how much you jump, run, sensations, speaking in tongues or shouting or whatever you might lay it upon, which is all right. I believe in all that too. But unless your life copes with your testimony, then you haven't got it. Because the fruit of the Spirit vindicates what you are. Just like the fruit of any tree tells what it is. Jesus said, by the fruits you shall know them. Now, this young uh, fellow's parents, his mother, German, no reflection on the German, but there's a strain in that family. And that is, they'll just sit and you can talk to them and they'll just stare you right in the face. Uh, they got a, a, this girl's sister, the mother of this boy. It, her sister, I have come down the street many mornings and this young lady be sitting out in the yard. And I'd say, good morning to you. She'd just look at me and I'd stop. And I'd say, sure, a fine morning. She'd just stand and look right at you. An intelligent woman. And I'd say, come up to see us sometime. Just stand and look. Well, our brothers are that way. Father and mother is that way. Now, the father of the boy is strictly an Irishman. Moody and high-tempered, high-strung. That's his whole family. Like that, except one other out of the family converted. Now, in this, this boy, this Father and mother both are Christians filled with the Holy Ghost. And they have brought this young man up in the way of the Lord. And now the young man's about 
17 or 18 years old, something along there. Very fine kid, and he's, he's been a real model boy at home. Nice kid. And he's got a brother that's just vice versa. But the girls, the mother, family, lives close to the, a fine church. But do you think they'd ever come over there? No, and they know it's right, but it's just not in them to, to ask forgiveness or ask pardoning. They just won't do it. It's just not in them. Now, the genes in the father and the mother of this boy, no matter how much they're converted, still remains the flesh that's been interbred out to this boy. Therefore, the boy has got a complex in him, just like from his mother's family, and they are not forgiving, they will not apologize, and that's where that boy stands. Now, I said to the father, no matter how much you've raised him up, I said, now look at you, out of your family. All of them drunks and, and fighting and shooting and cutting and so forth. Now, look at your family to the mother. There are a bunch of people that just sit there and won't speak very independent and so forth, irreverent to religion. But I said, it's not you. You're the only one of all your sisters and brothers, and you're sweet, kind, and forgiving. What does that? And you're a tree, part of that family tree, yet you have received the Holy Ghost. That's the thing that made you tender and sweet. It's not your people anymore. It's your Christ that lives in you. I said to the boy, look at your family. Practically all of them are drunks and so forth. I said, and how moody and, and high-tempered and high-strung. But you're not. You're kind, forgiving. What is it? The Holy Spirit. You're no more what you are. It's Christ in you. I said, now that same thing has to happen to your son. And the father raised up and said, my son went to the altar. He was baptized correctly in the name of Jesus Christ. And water baptism in the pool said, I know my son has come to Christ. I said, that may be all right. All the outward motions. He might be identified as a believer with the believers. But until he's regenerated, born again, I'd advise that young man to never marry a woman. He'll make hell on earth for her until that gentle, sweet, forgiving spirit of Christ comes in. Then that will be a paradox in itself to take the very nature of a boy that's bred between father and mother. And yet in his intellectuals, he's trying his best to overcome it. He can't do it. He'll never overcome it. Christ will have to overcome it when he lets Christ in and he's already overcome that. It'll be a perfect paradox. When a man is born of the Spirit of God, I've seen critics stand off and make fun and carry on of a Holy Ghost a revival. And after a while, God get a hold of that same man and change him. And here he stands right in the pulpit preaching the same thing that he once hated. It's a paradox how that God can take the unbeliever and make a believer out of him. Now, I wonder if a man thinks that miracles is past. I wonder what kind of a scientific medicine you could give such a person to change that disposition in them, to take that uh, hatred and malice and strife out. There's no one can explain it, but it's a paradox because it's a miracle of God when a man is changed from the person that he is to a new creature in Christ Jesus. He becomes a new creation. He's no more what he used to be. He's absolutely a new creation in Christ. 
This world itself that we're living on is absolutely a paradox. How it was formed, we find out in Hebrews 11th chapter in the third verse that the world was framed together by the Word of God. Where did God get the material to make this world? How did He do it? The Bible says that it was formed and framed together, all of its structure and its part was put together by the Word of God. If that is the paradox, I don't know where it is. Where could we produce and say He got the material when there was no material? He had to speak it into existence. It's a paradox that this world is here tonight. Another thing, it's a paradox of how it stays in its orbit, hanging in space. How can it hang there at one place, spinning this way about 1,100 miles an hour, 24 or 25,000 miles around? It goes around every 24 hours, so perfect it doesn't miss a second. So perfect, turning at a better than a about uh, better than a thousand miles an hour, it's turning around like this, hanging in space. If it would go up or down any, well, my, it would it'd interrupt the whole system of God's solar system. And it goes around the equator, around the orbit, so many uh, years, time, it never fails, the seasons just exactly. Tell me what holds it up there. What turns it so perfect in time? You can get a watch. I don't know how much you might pay for one, a thousand dollars. And that watch within the space of a month will lose minutes. They haven't got anything that can work so perfect, but yet this world turns perfect. Why? It's God doing it. It's a paradox. God commanded to do that, and it doesn't. How about the moon? Yet millions of miles away from the earth, and yet it it controls the tides on the earth. Millions of miles away, its influence of standing in its space, standing in its orbit, it influences the earth. Each planet influences the other by staying in its place. Oh, what a sermon I could take from here, a lesson, how that each one of God's creatures would stay in its place. It would influence the other. But we get off on some wild tantrum somewhere, form an organization, separate ourselves, seemingly not having the faith, and then we got the whole system of Christianity mixed up. If ever man would stay in his place, it would be a paradox of God. To see how God could bring Presbyterians, Lutherans, Baptists, Methodists, Catholics, and all together, if we come back to the Word of God, it would be a real paradox. And then the whole church could agree not upon your creeds and so forth, but upon the Word, the way it's written, because it's of no private interpretation, says the Scripture. How that that moon influences the world. Here not long ago, a friend of mine, my neighbor, was digging holes for oil wells down in the state of Kentucky. And when that moon begins to rise over there, that tide comes in all the way across to the earth. That salt water down in the hole where they drill will raise up when that moon comes. No matter it's down hundreds of feet below the surface of the or the top of the earth here, goes down hundreds of feet. Yet when that moon turns around, that water raises to meet it. It in it. You can't hide anything when God has commanded it. It's got to obey God. When God gives His command, that's the reason I know He'll have a church without spot or without wrinkle. God has commanded it so. 
It'll have to obey. God will have it. Because the word of God has said so. How the tides, the moon, and everything influence the actions of the earth. You take, we see a star shoot, we call it a star. That isn't a star shooting, it's a light. Of course, we know that. But we call it a star. That star could not move that far. If one star would move out of its orbit, it would probably influence everything in the cycle, in the whole uh, universe. It would, it would uh, interrupt. Everything would stay in its spot in order to keep the system of God moving. So must we stay in our place. We must stay as sons and daughters of God. If we'd never fallen back there, the thing we've been turning, there'd been no death or nothing else. But thanks be to God, there's coming a paradox when God himself will settle back in place where she should be. Yes, a paradox. Man that don't believe in, in a paradox and don't believe in miracles, how could you justify your intelligence? And looking in the face of things that you cannot explain. It's totally impossible for any man to explain how that world can revolve itself and keep in perfect time and ever the whole solar system and those things and how the moon can influence the earth and how many other things can we tell about how the, the sap in the fall of the year will go down in the root of the tree without any intelligence to run it down there, bring it back in spring of the year with new life. Why, it's a paradox. No one can explain it. We don't know how it's done, but God does it. Therefore, it is a paradox constantly. It's a mystery how that God does that. We look at it so much until it becomes so common, we look over the top of it. And that's what's the matter with we, we Pentecostal people. We have seen God perform so many paradoxes that it becomes just occasionally that we even think of it. If we would only stop a minute and consider, God is everywhere. God is, is performing and his old time pieces clicking right around till finally she'll go plumb out into eternity because God has promised it to do that. Now we know that there is paradox. Now, back in the days of Noah, before the rain come and the flood, it was quite a, a hard thing for Noah and that great intellectual age that he lived in to try to tell people by a word of God that it was going to rain. Now, it would be uh, no doubt that it didn't meet the, the qualification of their scientific research. There was no rain in the skies. But you see, Noah said there would be rain because that God said there would be rain. And Noah, by faith, before the rain ever come, he said it would be there. That's the reason we say the same thing that they say, well, geez, they said he was coming a long time ago. Hundreds of years ago, they claimed he was coming. The apostles said so. Maybe their generation, that doesn't stop it a bit. We still know he's coming. How's it going to be? I don't know. But God will send him. He promised to. And I know he'll be here. Now, Noah could only say, God said so. But you see, then, after all, it did not meet their scientific approval in that day. But when the time come for the word to be fulfilled, it rained just the same. That was quite a paradox in that day. To think that rain could come out of the sky where there is no rain. But if God is stuck at his word, he can perform, a, make a paradox. He can perform a miracle. And any man is born of that same spirit that performs miracles. Why, it's an easy thing for him to believe miracles because he's part of God. Amen. 
a son and daughter of God, not by denomination, not by creed, not by handshake, but by blood, that you have died to your own intellects and been born of the Spirit of God, and you are a paradox yourself, how that you've been changed from death unto life. How your innermost being is a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's a paradox. God speaks his word. His children believe it. And God, the science cannot prove how it can be done. They know nothing about it. But the children believe it anyhow. And then God performs a paradox. Makes it so. Makes it so because his word that spoke the world into existence can can make every word that he ever promised come to pass. That's why Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was fully persuaded that he was able to perform and to keep what he said he would do. He staggered not at the promise of God being a hundred years old and Sarah 90 to have this baby. Because he knew that God could perform and have a paradox to happen. On something of miracle to take place. And he did it. The Hebrew children. Now, how would you make scientists believe today that a man could go into a furnace? Oh, I would be afraid to say how many Fahrenheit's hot it was, but it could go into that uh, furnace back there in the book of, of Daniel and stay in that furnace until the, they thought that he they was all burnt down to ashes. Which even the man, the great uh, army of uh, soldiers, great husky man that moved out there to, to throw them in the furnace. That was man that went in there, perished by the intense heat of the furnace against them. And they fell into the furnace and was down in there for all this time and come out without even a smell of horror. God performing a miracle that was a genuine paradox of the keeping power of God against any enemy when a man is ready to admit God is true and God keeps his word and honors those who believe in him. Certainly I believe in a paradox. Joshua, the great warrior I just read about a few moments ago in the book of Joshua, the 10th chapter. Notice, Joshua was a, a, a friend and uh, to God. He was a soldier, a, a general, and he come up under the influence of a prophet, Moses. Moses had been taken away, and Joshua was commanded to take the children into the promised land and to divide the lands. The children's disobedience and Moses had waited to be old, and so Joshua come up to take the place of Moses to be. God's general, and the Lord spoke to him and said, As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. That's good enough for Joshua. He said, Be strong and very courageous, for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever thou goest. And every place the soles of your foot shall set that I have given you. Then footprints meant possession. The whole land belonged to him. It was a promise. Way before it ever happened, when he come down there with Caleb and the other spies, and they seen the great opposition, the Amalekites and, and the Persianites and Hittites and so forth, all fenced in, and there Jericho could run a chariot race on top of the, of the place, and great strong man that some of the, uh, the unbelieving among them said, why, well, we look like grasshoppers to the side of, but 
Caleb said in Joshua, we're more than able to take it. Why? God said, I have given you this land. No matter what the opposition is, how great and, and the, the, the difficults look, yet God said it was theirs. Oh, God is able to keep what he has promised. It was a paradox to see a handful of people unarmed almost for what they picked up on the deserts and where they chased other men, probably with such as old rakes and saws and whatever they get a hold of, go in there and beat those men down that were giants. It was a paradox. God knew that they had courage to do it, and he gave them the promise, and they went in and performed exactly what God promised them to do. One day in the heat of the battle, when the kings had made a great uh, covenant among themselves and had come down against Joshua and the children of Israel, that God had promised them the land, and uh, he had routed the enemy, and they were in the woods and hills scattered out through the wilderness there. Joshua looked and he seen the sun going down. He knew if those armies got a chance to replace themselves, and, and come back again at him, well, he knew that he'd have twice as hard a time and would probably lose more men if they ever got a place to unite themselves together. There's where ministers, there's where we fail, there's where the church failed. When this revival that we just had, this great campaign that started across the country, when we had the enemy running, we should kept him on the run. But the thing of it is, we have to go off this on tantrums and so forth and big sprees of building and making more for our groups and so forth. And there you come and separating ourselves from the word and taking this, that, and building up some more organizations and starting something else. That's the way it always goes. That's the way it was in the days of Luther, Wesley, and Moody, Sinky, Finney, Knox, Calvin, all the way down. It's been the same way. They get their eyes off of the, the revival and get it onto what they can do for themselves. But you know what happened? Joshua wasn't that type of a man. He needed time. The sun was going down. And he knew if the enemy ever built up, the revival was almost at the end of the close of it, like we stand today. He knew if he ever waited till the enemy got uh, fortified against him, it would be hard to win that battle. You know what he did? He knew that God promised that land. He needed more time. So the sun was about to go down and he said, Son, stand still. Amen. A paradox indeed. That sun stood there for a full day and never moved in the moon over Agilon, never moved also. Because the Bible said here that it was a, never a time before or since like it that God hearkened to a voice of a man. He said, oh, if I know we just lived in that day, Jesus said in St. Mark eleven twenty four, if you say to this mountain, be moved and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you said will come to pass, you can have what you said. Still facing the paradox on down into our age. Sure, that moon and sun stood still until Joshua fought his way through with Israel and avenged himself upon their enemy. Why? It was in the line of duty. Now, if you go out here and say, mountain move, I'll show you how I can do it. It won't do it. But if it's in the line of duty, when God's commanded you to do something, 
Like he said to Moses, why cry to me? Speak to the children. People today is crying all the time. Lord, what next? What next? Just speak and go forward. That's right. God has commissioned us to do something. Let's do it. Don't stand around and think about it. Say, how can it happen? Well, this is that makes any difference. If God said do it, do it anyhow. He's still a God of miracles. Joshua, it certainly was a paradox when that sun stood still. I was talking to a a scientist in school one time, and a Bible teacher, and he said, uh, I referred this to him. I said, I thought you said that the the earth turned uh, around, see, and and, uh, the sun stood still. I said, what about the Bible? He's just telling us the truth. (laughs) God, Joshua, he said, sun stand still. <laughs> well, he couldn't answer that one. But the sun did stand still. It didn't make any move, you see. That's actually the earth stopped. And now you say, he said the earth stopped. I said, you said if the earth stopped, it lost its gravitation. Everybody would fall off of it. Now what are you going to do? It's a paradox. Yeah. Amen. God stopped the entire earth from turning. Amen. Because a man said, stand still there till I fight this battle through. That's a paradox. Amen. It was a paradox when all the armies of Israel was backed up in a corner and they were afraid of some great, big, prehistoric-like giant standing there by the name of Goliath. And there the armies of Israel, well-trained, saw uh, head and shoulders above the rest of his army and shaking in his boots. Nobody was able to meet the challenge of this man of that day. There come a little ruddy-looking, stoop-shouldered kid up, weighing about 90 pounds with a piece of sheepskin draped around him like that. He said, shame on this army of the living God. Stand here, let that uncircumcised Philistine defile the armies of the living God. When the word come to Saul, Saul said, you're nothing but a youth and he's a warrior from his youth and you're a kid and look what he is. Why, you couldn't go against him. But what did he take? He never took a spear. He never took a sword. But he took a slingshot. And only one place could hit that giant. That was right in the forehead where his armor dropped down over his face to hide his eyes. And that rock at a long distance from that 14-foot needle spear he had in his hand was all out as long as it was. Could have picked up little uh, David and done anything to him. He hung him in the tree as he threatened to do let the birds eat his carcass. But what happened? There was a paradox when God took a ruddy little man that wasn't very much to look at him, not even a trained soldier, just a kid that had faith in him and put the whole country to shame. God did it by a paradox. Amen. He still God tonight for the paradox just the same as he was then. He put the whole army to ride. They saw that and began to run and take off because that they seen that in that little fellow was a faith in a God who could change all nature, do anything he wanted to do. When man would believe his word, certainly I believe it was a paradox. Moses, a great military man who tried to deliver Israel and didn't do it. He wanted to destroy the Egyptians. He destroyed one man. And he got in trouble over it, doing it in his own will. But then he took a stick, an old dry stick off of the desert and slew a whole army. (laughs) That ain't a paradox. I don't know why. When he struck that stick over the sea and called for the sea to close, and he drowned Egypt, a whole nation.
salvation at one time by a stick in his hand. Amen. It was a paradox how he led Israel through the wilderness and for 40 years. And when they come out, there wasn't a feeble person among them. That's a paradox. Yes, sir. What a great man it was. What God did for him because he believed God. It was a paradox. Yes, sir. It was a paradox when God chose one little man by the name of Micah before 400 well-trained prophets of Israel because this man was willing to stay with the word of God when all opposition was against him. When the 400 said, by Go on up, he said to Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Go on up, the Lord is with you. We just got the revelation. The Lord is with you. Go up, you'll push them plumb off of our land because it's ours. God gave it to us. Joshua divided up the lands and this belongs to us. And there's the Philistines up there eating corn off of our fields. Why, it's no more than reason. Our revelation is right. Then how God chose a little man like Micah. They couldn't even get into the association. But he come up there with the word of the Lord. And he said, Go up! But I've seen Israel scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Amen. It was a paradox how God would stand a little bitty unnoticed fella out there in the midst of a whole great big 400 group of prophets, of Israelite prophets, Jewish prophets, standing there prophesying falsely. How did Micah know he was right? Because he was right with the word. Elijah said the same thing would happen. How could he bless what God had cursed? It was a paradox, but God made it come to pass. Certainly was. It was a paradox when a little bitty sissy looking boy with seven little locks of hair hanging down his head, maybe a bull ribbon in it for all I know, like a little bitty sissy. His name was Samson. And when a lion, about a 500 pound maybe lion, roared and come against him, and he took his hands and tore that lion apart. Well, watch what happened. The Spirit of the Lord come on him first. That's what causes a paradox. That's what a paradox like that would set this arena fire tonight for the glory of God. If the Lord of the Lord could be permitted to come upon the people. A paradox indeed. Yes, when Samson slew that lion with his bare hands, pulled him apart. A little bitty sissy sort of a boy with seven little locks of hair hanging down his back. It was a paradox when he took the jawbone of that mule and beat in a thousand Philistines' heads. When that big helmets, big coats of nail on, brass weighing probably a hundred pounds or close to it, big shields and so forth, spears, well-trained man, and a helmet about an inch and a half thick out of brass come down and turn up just her faces. And Samson stood there with this jawbone of the mule, been laying out there maybe for 40, 50 years. On the desert, dry, while one lick against a piece of steel like that would have shattered it into a million pieces. But he stood there. That's the only thing. He was commissioned to fight and to take that country out. He was raised up and born to slay that nation. If the church could only Pentecostal church could only realize what you're here for, what's your representation, why did you come out of these things to be what you are? He knew what he was born for, he knew where he stood, the thing he had in his hand made no difference, he stood there and his old Philistines come and that powerful lick of that little shrimp standing up on a rock to reach the top of their heads, when they run up there, knock one more and one the other and they're a thousand. 
how that mule's jaw held together. It was a paradox how that little piece of brittle bone would break through those instant helmets of brass and slay those Philistines. A thousand of them, he still stood there within his hand, just as good as it was when he picked it up. It was a paradox. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still the same God. And any man has been called to take the word of God. God will stand by if he don't be a coward. Samson could have run, but he didn't do it. Ryan, it was a paradox when God called John the Baptist, the son of a priest, out of a great school of priests, a great seminary. Why didn't that follow? Which it was customary that man followed the tradition of their fathers. Why, it was a paradox when God took John to the wilderness to tell him what the Messiah would be, to tell him what the sign of the Messiah would be, how he would know it. Instead of going to school to learn what the Messiah would be, God took him to the wilderness to tell him what the Messiah would be. It's quite a paradox to them people in that day. Yes, when the virgin birth came on, that was a paradox. How that God, in order to make himself known to man, became man. How that God, the great spirit, God to me was before there was even a light. There wasn't a meter. There wasn't a, uh, a atom. There wasn't a molecule. There, there, there wasn't anything. And everything was God. Yes, that's how great he is. He's from eternity through eternity. He always was God. He always will be God. And how the greatest of all life become a little small germ in the womb of a woman in order to take his own law, to pay the penalty of his law death. How God was manifested in the flesh. How the great God of heaven Change this stream, come from being God to be man through the virgin birth. Nobody can figure it out. Science today can't tell you how that virgin birth was. But God did it. He came. No one was able. Everyone was sexually born. Like the red. One man is the same as the rest of them. No one could help the other. We was all in trouble. And then God himself came down and was born not of a Jew, not of a Gentile, but his blood was God. Blood comes from the male sex. In this case, it was God. God, the creator, created the blood cell in the womb of Mary and built himself a tabernacle that himself come down and lived in it. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The very word Christ means the anointed one. God in his fullness dwelt in him. Amen. And in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That was a paradox. It staggered people that day. You being a man, make yourself God. It still does it. But just the same, is still the same paradox that's carried on. He was God. He's still God. He always will be God. Yes, sir. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, sir. That virgin birth was a mystery to the people. They couldn't understand it. Just like the new birth is today. The new birth is a mystery to the people. They can't understand it. They don't know what you mean. They have belittled it. Bring it down saying, well, just because you believe something, the devils believe the same thing and tremble. It isn't what you believe, it's what God has actually done. The new birth is a birth. It was a new, it was a paradox when God brought new life to the human race. To reject it is eternal separation. To receive it is eternal life. You have, you're on the same basis that Adam and Eve was. You can take... If God puts you on anything else, it would be unjust to Adam and Eve. 
Each Adam and Eve tonight's got the right and wrong standing before them. You can make your choice. You can take God's word or leave God's word. You can take God's word or take your denominational creeds about it. You can take your modernistic ideas of what it is. You can be born again and filled with the Holy Ghost or you can be church eyes. Either one you want to be. For me to live is Christ. Hallelujah. I believe that same God that fell on the day of Pentecost upon his church as a pillar of fire and divided himself with cloven tongues among his people is here tonight. It's the same God he was then. He is today with the same I know it's a paradox. It cannot be explained. Emotion, screaming, crying, and so forth cannot be explained. But it's a paradox how God does it. It's the unseen God dwelling in the human heart, making himself visible by vindicating his word that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a paradox on a carpenter's son. By the name of Jesus of Nazareth, took up five little biscuits and two fish and fed 5,000 people. If it isn't, I want to see somebody do it today. I want you to explain to me what kind of an Adam he let loose. What did he do? Not only the fish, but the fish was grown, the fish was scaled, the fish was clean, the fish was cooked, the fish was whatever it was, and the bread was planted and grown, and all of it bypassed. And God turned it from, from cooked fish to cooked fish. He just growed it out, and he broke it off, he growed it out, and he broke it off, and he growed it out, till he fed 5,000. What does that routine mean? Break it off. Grow it out. Break it off. Grow it out. Feed. Grow it out. That means he's the same yesterday, today, forever. He's the same God. He's still the bread of life to any man that's You can't exhaust his goodness. They say we have no need for miracles. No need for paradox. He's waiting. That's his program. That's what he is. He's the same yesterday and forever. He's waiting for you to reach up and take your potion. Are you scared to do it? Would you rather go down to the river and fish out a fish and try to cook it and fry it in some kind of hog lard or, or something? Or would you rather take it the way God has it? Just reach up by faith and say, Jesus, the same yesterday and forever. I claim, Lord, I believe in you. Place within me the food, the strength, the faith that I need. Watch and see what happens. For the sincere heart, he'll satisfy ever hunger. He'll do it. Jesus was a, made a, had a paradox when he fed 5,000 people of five fish and, and then taking up two basketfuls or several basketfuls afterwards. It was a paradox when a man with feet like I got and you got upon a lake like Lake Michigan out here when the storms is on and the whitecaps probably well, if you was ever there to see how the storms come down they do it yet across Galilee there and it almost looks like bail the bottom of the ocean drive. When that comes down through there and winds terribly and begins to sweep and the white caps pitch that boat until all hopes is gone and upon that sea where they had been roaring from roaring from along about four o'clock in the afternoon I'd say until the last the fourth watch along three or four o'clock in the morning how far had they rowed across the sea and they left him on the other side. Amen. At the fourth watch, here he come walking up on the waves. That was a paradox. How could he make himself light enough? How could he step on the waves and step from one wave to the other? Those big waves coming, he'd go right up over one, right down in the other, right up over the one without a drop of water on him. Come walking on the waves. Explain it to me. 
What was it? It was a paradox. Absolutely. It was a paradox when Peter, who he had never seen in his life, his name was Simon, walked up in the presence of Jesus Christ because his brother Andrew had told him he was the Messiah. And when Jesus looked that man in the face for the first time that he had ever seen him and said, Your name is Simon and you are the son of Jonas. That's a paradox. If it isn't, tell me how he did it. It was a paradox. Why? Because he is the Word. And the Bible said the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart that prove that he was the Word. Amen. The same yesterday, today, and forever. It was a paradox when Philip went around the hill and found Nathaniel and brought him back into the presence of Jesus and Jesus told him where he was the day before. That was a paradox. Amen. Showed that he was the Word. Behold, an Israelite in whom there's no God said, When did you know me, Rabbi? He said, Before Philip called you, when he was under the tree, I saw you. A paradox. Amen. It was a paradox when a little businessman of the city of Jericho, a critic of the Lord Jesus, climbed up in a sycamore tree to hide to see him pass by. And when Jesus of Nazareth was coming walking down the street, and stood right on the tree where he was and raised up there and called him by his name. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going home with you for lunch. A pass. He had never seen the man. All the days of his life, he had never laid eyes on him. It was a paradox. When maybe a uh, several hundreds of people, yes, maybe 15, 20 hundred people coming out of the city of Jericho, making fun of him and laughing at him when he left the city that afternoon, or that morning, rather. As he was going out of the city, when people were throwing overripe vegetables at him, and I could hear a priest say, Hey, they tell me you raised the dead. Hey, you prophet. You called yourself a prophet. They, they, we got a whole graveyard full of over here. Just man. Good man. Priest like I am. Go up here. Raise them up. Let's see you raise the dead. Didn't even hear a word they said. One hailing one thing and one another. But way back over there against the wall, some 250 yards, a poor old beggar shivered in the cold air with his sleeves said, Oh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. It stopped him in his tracks. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. A call from Joshua, not very far, not a... Not a ten mile from where he was standing right there stopped the sun one day. But a poor beggar stopped the S-O-N. in yeah. his tracks by his faith. The same kind of faith that Joshua had. Hey, man, because he knew if he was a son of David, he was a manifested Messiah, and he could give him back his sight. Yeah. A paradox. Oh, my. Certainly it was a paradox. Yes, sir. God, it was a paradox how God could become man to die. God, life, eternal life, could become God, natural life, to die, to save man, to bring him back to eternal life. That was a paradox how that the great uh, God that filled all space and all eternity could come down and be a man in order to die to save a, his own creation. How God became one of his own creations. To save, because he created his own body. Jehovah, the Father, 
dwelt in fullness in Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus was the body of God. God was representing the tabernacle, the flesh of Jesus Christ. And how did that one that filled all space and all eternity become one man? Amen. You see what I mean? There, and that God could do that to die. And oh, that was a paradox in itself. How he could make himself that way in order to suffer death for the whole human race. But oh, what a paradox when a man had been crucified. Put to death, pushed a big Roman spear about six or eight inches wide through his heart. And blood and water gushed out. And they took him off the cross dead, wrapped him in, in cloth and laid him in a tomb. He was so dead to the Roman centurion, said he was dead. Everybody there said he was dead. The moon said he was dead. The stars said he was dead. The sun said he was dead. The earth had a nervous prostration. It said he was dead. Yeah. And on the third day, to raise up to life again, the immortal. That's a paradox. Hey, man, he said, I have power to lay my life down. I have power to take it up again. A genuine paradox of God, his resurrection was. It was a paradox of God when Jesus chose fishermen instead of trained priests to carry his message. Looked like when he come, he'd have come to the great Pharisees and Sadducees and said, Brethren, you are the man who down through the ages has kept this denomination clean. I come to take you now. Your fathers will be proud of you when they can look down over the realms of heaven and wherever they was. I doubt it. Jesus said, you're your father, the devil. So then uh, broke down and said, well, we'd be happy. They'd be happy to know this. I've come now to take up where you all have brought it to. It was a paradox when he condemned every one of them and told them they were of the devil and went down on the Sea of Galilee and picked up ignorant fishermen who didn't even know how to write their own name. And give them the keys to the kingdom of heaven instead of giving Caiaphas as the high priest. How could a man do a religion that's tried what they thought tried in their traditions and things to keep up the things of God? And here he comes and selects another group down on the river yonder when man's trained and educated and went through seminaries and schools and everything else. Then he comes right back around and ignores that and takes an ignorant fisherman and gives him the keys to the kingdom. Amen. What makes a paradox is when somebody believes God and takes him at his word. God's word spoke the world into existence. That's the same thing you have to believe tonight is God's promised word. Look at that poor little woman standing down there at the well. She said, we know when Messiah cometh, he'll tell us these things. He had told her what her trouble was. She said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. We know when the Messiah cometh, he'll tell us those things. Watch. God talking to a harlot. Glory to God. God talking to a prostitute. Amen. And asking a favor, bring me a drink. Think of it. Talk about a paradox. What a paradox that that seed of eternal life predestinated before the foundation of the world could group out in such a thing as that by the desire of the flesh. How that poor little woman probably turned on the street. Down in her heart she was predestinated to eternal life. When the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth, according to the Bible, our names are put on that book. Jesus said, no man can come to me except my Father draws him. And all the Father has given me will come. Just scatter the light. 
watching that light hit those priests and all their intellects, what happened? They said, he's Beelzebub, a fortune teller, a devil. He said, you're your father, the devil. That's where it come from. But when this little immoral woman talking to God, and how could that predestinated seed be anchored in such a, a vile person as that? It's a paradox. But watch when the light struck it. said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, prophets where the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. See? And that was her sin. And he, the prophet, had the word. So she said, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, we know that when Messiah cometh, he'll do these things. He said, I'm he that speaks to you, brother. She left that book and away she went. Her testimony saved her city, Sychar. Now, that was a paradox when, God, when Jesus did that. Yes, sir. It was a paradox when God put his spirit in the Pentecostals, the poor fishermen and uneducated people, instead of Caiaphas as the high priest. And oh, how he put his gospel. It was a paradox when God chose the way that's called heresy, crazy. People staggering, jumping, carrying on, acting like they were insane. They called them crazy. It's a paradox when God would bypass the great high synagogues, the great Sanhedrin courts, and the great high scholar priests. And pick up a bunch of ignorant, unlearned fishermen that had no, no more than just to believe him and to take his word and see the results. And it pleased God to bypass what they call the most holy thing in the world. To pick up a bunch of low trash, as it was called. And the way that they were worshiping called heresy to make the way of salvation. Yes. And that's the truth. You can't deny it. Paul said in the way that's called heresy, that's the way I worship my God, the God of our fathers, the way that's called heresy. Yes, it was a paradox when that great pillar of fire that come down from heaven, an angel of the Lord, a pillar of fire, led the children of Israel through the wilderness. That was a paradox that talked to Moses out there in a burning bush. And it was a paradox that 800 years later, and according to the scripture in St. John 8, 58, if you want to know where it's at, you want to know where it started out first, is Exodus 13, 31. And it was a paradox when after all that journey and all that time, that here Jesus said that before Abraham was, I am. I am was in the burning bush. I am was the one that talked to Moses. It was a strange thing that after his death, burial, and resurrection, Saul, that little hook-nosed Jew, crabbit, nasty temper, and even put some of the church to death on his road down to Damascus to arrest those people. And down there they had a prophet named Ananias. And was down there prophesying to him, a prophet of the Lord, telling the word of the Lord, because he come to him. And while Pastor Ananias was down there prophesying, Saul went down to get him, and right in the middle of the day, that same pillar of fire that come down and led Israel struck Saul to the ground. And all the people standing around could not see it, but it's a bright to Paul to put his eyes out. Amen. Amen. He was blind. It was so real to him, and the rest of them couldn't see it. It's a paradox. What one senses of one person would declare, it would declare it to another. That's the reason people can sit in the in a meeting and look at the work of the Lord and get up and walk out and make fun of it, and the other holds to it with all their heart. It's a paradox. Now God can take man of this thing. Paradox. To see how God does it even in this day. It was a paradox for Paul. 
You know, Paul never did see Jesus in physical form. He had to accept the revelation just like Peter did. Peter never knew Jesus by physical form. He said, who does man say I the son of man am? Some of them said, why, you're Moses. And some say, you're Elias and Jeremiah. He said, that's not what I asked. What do you say? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, blessed art thou, Simon, the son of Jonas. Flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, has revealed it upon this rock. I'll build my church the gates of hell. Cannot prevail against it. There you are, a paradox. When he was standing there and didn't know him in human flesh, but he knowed him by his works and revelation. Seeing to fulfill exactly what the scripture is. That's the same kind of a paradox that brings a man from some old cold form of creed into a living God. It's a paradox to see the same man read the same Bible and deny it while the other will believe it and accept the evidence of it. It's a paradox. When he could see it working on the other fellow, sure he ought to know that it's the same God. His creed's wrong. If it's contrary, if God's vindicating his word, then your creed's wrong. Amen. Don't mean to be so rude, but that's the truth. A paradox. I said 30 minutes. And it's just exactly that. I got about six pages of note here. Yeah. Paradox. Do you believe in it? Amen. I believe in it. I'll stop. Let me tell you something. Listen. I hear some time ago down in the south where I come from. I was having a little bit of ice cream one day. An old druggist friend of mine, a real old born-again saint. He was a real man. Hadn't seen him for some time. I was going through the city. I stopped to see him. And I seen his name up there, and I thought, well, there he's got this business here. He's been there for years. I went up, went in, and there he was sitting there looking down over his little glasses, you know. And looking over his little glasses that hung down on his cheek. And he said, well, if it isn't Brother Branham... And he raised up and come put his arms around me and come pat me. He told his son, said, go get us some, some ice cream. We said, there, said, have a cup of coffee. I said, no, sir. I'd talk you to death if he'd give me a cup of coffee. I said, makes me nervous. I said, I'll just take some ice cream. So we got some ice cream out and the girls was back there and so forth in the store. And we sat and had a little fellowship around the ice cream. He said, Brother Branham, I, I want to tell you something. He said, I, I've been a little reluctant to tell other people. We got talking about the Lord and His goodness and the old fellow crying and tears running down his cheeks. And He said, I, I want to tell you something. He said, it, it may seem strange to, to you. He said, but I believe that a person like you would understand it. I said, well, go ahead, brother. What is it? He said, back in during the time of the Depression, he said, my gray-headed son there was just a young man. And said, we were here in the, this business then. And he said, uh, but people were poor and didn't have nothing to eat and well, to get an order to get medicine or something they had to go and stand in line many of you remember that sure you do stand in the line to get a little okay from the county that you could get these drugs or get something to eat and he said I was sitting here one day reading my Bible and, and said somebody come in the door and my son got up young went up to the front and said I heard him say no we can't do it and said I listened close I laid my word down and I listened close, and the man said, Sir, he said, my wife's about to faint. When he looked, he said, he's seen the woman ready to be delivered of a baby. The young couple, the young man said to him, he said, I, I, I stood in that line there, said, it's oh, a city block long. He said, my wife just can't stand there any longer. 
said, I wonder, I've got the prescription from the doctor. She must have the medicine right away. Said, will you fill it and then I'll take her home and then I'll go stand in the line. I'll, I'll get the, the order for it. If you, and a boy said, sir, that's against the rules here. We, we can't do it. And he said, well, I didn't know. He said, thank you very much, uh, son. Turned to walk away. And he said, just as started to walk, somebody said to him, that down his heart said, Joseph and Mary was turned away one time too. And said, I raised up and said, wait, son, just a minute. And said, the fellow stopped. Now I went and got the prescription. He got back behind there and filled it while he waited, holding his wife with a hand. And she was so faint. She was just leaning over on his shoulder. And said, I walked out there and I, he said, I'm sorry I have to do this, sir. He said, that's all right. He had his head down and just handed out. And when he laid it in his hand, he said, Brother Bob, I saw Jesus. And I laid it right in his hand. Said, Brother Brown, there he was, just exactly the way the picture shows it. And said, I, I couldn't talk. And the man turned around, walked out of the building. He said, you believe that, Brother Branham? I said, I believe it with all that's on the inside of me. Certainly. St. Martin of Troas, if you've ever read of St. Martin, he was a soldier. And he was... He was, his, followed his father's footsteps. He always felt the call of God. Only I think his people wasn't exactly religious. And one day he was coming as a bad winter, the history says. And he was an old beggar laying out at the gate. And he was freezing to death. And many people who could have fed that old man or give him some clothes. He was crying, holding his hand up. Just an old whiskered, dirty man laying at the gate of the city and he's saying help me somebody I, I'm freezing the, the night I'll die somebody give me a garment St. Martin doesn't give all he had away he just as a soldier he had a, his coat on he stood by one side and watched and see if somebody wouldn't do it the people come and gone and nobody would help him then he reached up there and looked at the old man he had compassion on him pulled his old coat off and took his sword and cut it in half wrapped part of it around his shoulders Tucked the other half and wrapped the old beggar in it so he lived through the night, went walking on. The people laughed at him, so what a funny looking soldier with only a half a coat on. That night, while he was sleeping in the bed, he woke up, somebody walked into the room. He looked stand across the room and there stood Jesus with that old piece of garment of his wrapped around him. He knew by that. He was a man, St. Martin was one of the men who contended back there for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. He believed in the miracles of God. He believed in speaking with tongues. He believed in all the testament that was wrote by the apostles. He believed in and contended for it as long as he lived and God performed miracles. He knew when he seen that old beggar wrapped in the piece of garment of his own coat, that the word of God was fulfilled in so much as you have done unto the least of these, my little ones, you have done it unto me. You said the man didn't see it. I believe he received it. I believe he got it. I believe that it is there. I believe that was Jesus he looked at. It was a revelation of God made manifest because he carried out. Talk about a paradox. There's coming one. When the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye to be caught up together to meet him in the air. Yes, oh, how God keeps his word in this intellectual age. 
how he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How he can still discern the thoughts of the human heart. How he can still change man. How he can still keep every word that he promised in this day. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How he can still manifest and let him take the picture of that same pillar of fire that followed Israel. The same one that was with the Lord Jesus. The same one was down there with Saul on the road. The same one that come in and delivered Peter out of the prison. That same angel of God is here tonight and doing the very same thing it did when it was here on earth manifested in human flesh. Why? He's the same yesterday. Today and forever. Do you believe in a paradox? I believe that God's wanting people to believe in a paradox. I went way over my time. I believe it could be a paradox right here. Amen. I believe that God is willing and wanting to take his people and show himself. If he can only get a man or a woman, boy or girl to lay down their own thoughts and become a prisoner to him and believe him. He says, Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And now He's in you, the hope of glory, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said in St. John 14, 12, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. He promised in St. Luke, that as it was in the days of Sodom, when the elected church, Abraham's group, would receive a sign like Abraham received, and Lot's group would receive a sign like Lot did. It's a very strange thing that we've had all these great reformers of Luther and Wesley, but never did we ever have a man out there with his name ending in H-A-M, a messenger to the world, G-R-A-H-A-M. That's six letters. A-B-R-A-H-A-M is Abraham. We've had Moody, Sankey, Spinney, Knox, Calvin, but never a ham, father to the nations. We got one now. That's a paradox. Do you know that? And look, he's doing just exactly called him out of Sodom. But remember, Abraham had a messenger up there to his group too. Amen. And what kind of a sign did he do with his back turned to the tent? said, I'm going to visit you according to the time of my promise, according to the time of life. And he said, where's your wife Sarah? said, she's in the tent behind you. And when he said that, Sarah laughed to herself. He said, why did Sarah laugh? Saying these things can't be. See, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. The works that I do, God's word becomes so. If ye abide me, my words abide in you. Ask any of them you will, and it will be made manifest to you. A paradox to see a, a promise of God, a promise of God that's been made for 2,000 years and church ethics has drawn the people so far away. But in the midst of all of it, God comes right down and bursts that word right back into his church again. Just exactly. It is a paradox. Do you believe him? Let us pray. If there's people in here tonight that would want to see a paradox performed on you to change your heart from unbelief to faith in God, would you raise your hands and say, Lord, remember me. Remember me. God bless you. Oh, let's look at the hands. Heavenly Father, there is so many hands. I wouldn't be able to say God bless to each one, but thou knowest them all. Change their thinking, Lord. Oh, let it happen a paradox. They've always kind of stooped around. They've halfway believed, maybe. Maybe some of them even belong to church, but yet they have never met that time that when they had that supreme freedom. 
believe and know that what God promised, God was able to do. Yet we profess to be the seed of Abraham, who staggered not the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong, giving praise to God. Now, Father God, I pray thee in Jesus' name to have mercy upon them. Oh, God, come down among us tonight. Move upon us and show us that you're still a God of miracles. Make a paradox, Lord, and show that your word still can discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You're still the same one that was manifested out there that Abraham called Elohim. The Lord God, creator, the all-sufficient one, the self-existing one. Oh, God, you're still eternal God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the blood of your Son has sanctified a church and cleansed it, that the Word, oh, if they could only tuck it without adding creed, Lord. But now, he said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. The branch bears the fruit of the vine for the life of of the vine, of the branch comes from the vine. How we thank thee for this, Lord. How perfect it is. And in this day of unbelief and superstitions and, and all kinds of greed, yet you're the same God that stopped the sun for Joshua. You're the same one that was on the stick that Moses stretched over the sea. You're the same one that could call lice, fleas, frogs, whatever it was by the mouth of Moses. You're the same God that could put rain in the skies. You're the same one that's going to rain fire out of the skies. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, Lord God, show us thy glory tonight by saving and filling every person that raised their hand. Granted, Lord, may it just not be another self-starch prayer. May it not be another self-starch way of raising up a hand under a little influence of, a, of something. But may it be from the depths of their heart that the people cries out, Oh, Lord, God created me a faith that can believe you and can accept every word and punctuate every promise with an amen. Granted, Father, I commit it to you now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. It's 10 o'clock. We don't have to have a prayer line up here. We can have it out there. You believe it? How many in here that believes that he's the same yesterday and forever, that believes that that little woman had touched his garment with her finger then, he was, he was physical. She touched his garment. There's a paradox. He could not feel it. And he turned around and said, who touched me? And she couldn't hide herself. And he told her of her troubles and her faith healed her. And the Bible says today in Hebrews that he is a high priest that can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. How many sick people believe that? Raise your hand. All right. You believe it. And let's see now if that's true. You say, Brother Bram, how does that come? Just believing the word just the way it's wrote. Don't take any here say what this guy says it's this way and this guy says it's that way. You believe it just the way it's wrote. If he's got to judge you by the way it's wrote, then why not take somebody else's interpretation for it? Because that's where it's going to be judged. Just that's, that's his standard. He's watched over his word. There's nothing wrong with it. That's just exactly the word. That's what we will be judged by as this is God's word. And if ye abide in me, that's the faith, my word abide in you, because he is the word. 
then ask what you will. Now you touch his garment. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe with all my heart that we're living in the last days. I believe you are the same God that performed all these miracles that our pastor has showed us tonight in the Word. I believe that you are the high priest. Lord, let me touch your garment. Then you speak to this brother if it claims that you speak to him and then he doesn't know me, but you know me. And then see if he isn't the same God of miracles and there'll be a paradox again, an unsearchable thing that man can not discern and tell. Will you believe it? If he will do it, then we know it'll be a paradox. Is that right? I was going to have a prayer line that got so caught away on that time. I, I just got away from it and the time's just about gone. You believe. Let's start over. You can't, I have to separate you. Let's start on this side here. Somebody in this way. How many over here knows that I don't know you're nothing about you? Raise up your hands and you're sick. You know it. You won't ask God. All right. Some of you believe. Just, just take this with all your heart. Lord Jesus, the same yesterday and forever. Let me touch you, Lord. My faith is moving to you. Yonder on the right hand of God, setting in majesty, and your Holy Spirit that was in you is here tonight. Let me just touch my faith, Lord. Then see if he is still the author of paradox to bring things to pass that's absolutely unknown. Just be reverent. Here. See this right here? It's a colored lady sitting right back over here. She's bothered with a kidney condition. She's just had an operation. I don't know the lady. I'm a stranger to you. Is that right, lady? But that is true, isn't it? Do you believe that the same God that could tell that little woman that touched his garment over there and, and uh, on the other side of the lake, do you believe that that's the same God? You couldn't touch me physically, you know. So I, didn't, I don't know yet. So there is a high priest because he said he was a high priest. Is that right? And you believe it. When you were there praying for it to be you, something struck you and immediately I called about it. Is that right? All right. This operation you had didn't seem to be too successful. You're not getting well to, and you're alarmed about it. And you come here tonight for that same purpose. If the Lord Jesus will reveal to me who you are, like he did Simon to come up, would you believe me to be his prophet, his servant? You believe that? Mrs. Pigram. That's right. Now you believe with all your heart, you go home and be well. You're going to get well because your faith makes you well. You believe with all your heart? How about in this section? It's in here somewhere. Somebody believe? A man sitting out here on the end. He's suffering with trouble with his eyes. I don't know where he knows. Yes, he's caught me now. He feels the, the spirit of the Can you see that light above the man? Mr. Otis? That's your name. I'm a total stranger to you, but you're worried about your eyes. 
Christ makes you well. Your faith. I asked the man if I ever seen him, know anything about him, or this woman, or whoever it is. There's a paradox. You believe that? He's the same yesterday. He promised the works that I do shall you do also. That's how he identified himself of being Messiah. Is that right? Well, he's the same yesterday and forever, and you know it can't be me. I'm no Messiah. I'm just a man, your brother. But it's the Holy Ghost here. That is the Messiah. That's the leader. He's the one who knows. I don't know them people. They know it. Here, I want to show you. There's a colored woman sitting right up there on the side of there, suffering with a thyroid trouble. You believe God can tell me who you are, Miss Kelly? That's right. All right. You believe with all your heart? Mr. Swanson back there with nervous and trouble, do you believe that God can make you well? If you believe it with all your heart, all right, you can have it. God makes you well. You believe it? I don't know that. People ask me if I know them. It's a paradox. Just a minute. Here's this lady. Stand over a woman. I know who she is. She's sitting right here. Don't worry, Miss Collins. Stop bothering about that. Make yourself sick. It'll all come out all right. God leads. I know that woman. I know who she is. She's from down in Indiana or Kentucky. I know her. Her husband there is a member of my church. He's a, he's a deacon down there, a fine man. But there's that light. Don't you see it right over? She's been bothered. She's sick. And she's upset about something that she don't know whether to do or not. You just remember. Quit fretting, sister. It'll be all right. He knows all about it. He'll lead it. You just let him go. Amen. The same yesterday, today, Where is it up there? 